The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Thank you. Amen. So how many of you grew up or learned it might have been camp, the children's song, If You're Happy and You Know It. All right. All right. So if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. If you're happy and you know it, pick your nose. No, don't do that. That was the... That was the edited version. No. The, or another song, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And then we sing it around, and it's a lot of fun. The only song I remember in Filipino or Tagalog uh, still is the song, This is the Day that the Lord has Made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, how many of you have ever heard any of those songs sung like this. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be sad and sorrowful in it. Or um, if you're sad and you know it, say amen. I kind of just put a damper on things. <laughs> you're like, what a... <laughs> um, you know that when we sing songs, it's it's all about being happy and rejoicing. Um, none of it is be sad and full of sorrow. Um, and yet, as I read in the introduction again, home is the place we finally belong, but the road back home is often long and dangerous. So I want you to stick with me. Um, but is it possible that we try too hard to be happy all the time? And that there is, in, in the midst of this long and dangerous and broken road, there's a really important part of it where we should be sorrowful, experience genuine sorrow in order to experience genuine joy. That maybe we try so hard to be happy or to cheer one another up um, that we miss out often on genuine joy because we're eliminating genuine sorrow. Now, I realize there's a a place where we can get into a funk. I I can get into funks and uh, just get really discouraged and depressed when I needed to be my eyes pointed back to Jesus, an incredible couple lines from a song that really encouraged me the last couple of weeks were, um, my mind always goes blank when I'm, um, it's, um, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm, when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Boy, I needed that because I was, when I was going through, I was just starting to feel anxious and and discouraged. Um, And yet, there are good reasons to be sad, aren't there? 
uh, a broken relationship, the death of a friend or a family member, a loved one that doesn't know Jesus, and an addiction that we're just not having victory over. Uh, looking at the news, you know, an airplane goes down Ethiopian Airlines, and, and the whole everybody on board is their lives are lost. Uh, the massacre at the mosques in New Zealand this last week. I mean, we live in a broken world. Um, how do we handle these situations? How do you handle situations like that when, when brokenness or hurt or separation or um, do you feel uncomfortable? Like don't really know what to do? Uh, maybe avoid those situations? Maybe just don't watch the news because you just don't want to see the ugliness that's around? Um, or maybe you're someone who feels the need when you're with somebody who's struggling just to talk and talk and talk when maybe that's not the best thing to do or to cheer them up when they need somebody just to come alongside them to fix things, to have the answers. The question is this morning as we're going to come to Psalm 126 is when is it not bad to be sad? Or why grieve? Why sorrow? And why is there a place for genuine sorrow? And kind of like I said earlier, and we're going to look in the psalm, I think the simple idea we're going to look at is that, that genuine sorrow is what leads to genuine joy. And often why we don't experience and we trivialize and uh, make trite our happiness and our joy is because we're people that avoid sorrow and therefore don't experience real joy. So we're going to read Psalm 126, and then we'll dive in here. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and actually my favorite translation, which is more literal, in the NASB says, when the Lord restored or brought back the captives of Zion. So literally, this is a psalm that they're singing, remembering captives who have come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they're like, say, we were like those who dream. They can't believe it's true that the captives in Babylon had come back. We're like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The watching nations were like, that was God that did that. And the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So the first three verses are kind of this recalling of God's incredible goodness and miraculous working that had brought about this joy. Verses four through six, then, are kind of a call to um, to sorrow in order that they might experience more of this joy. So verses 1 to 3 where God had brought back captives from Jerusalem. Verse 4 literally says the same thing, but it's restore our captives, Lord. So they were rejoicing in captives, but there were still captives that were in Babylon and hadn't come back to Jerusalem yet. The uh, 
Sorry, this thing is really bugging me. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like I was thinking of, of if any of you have friends that you've met from other countries, refugees who have fled persecution or um, um, the threat of death in another country, they've come to the United States and verses one, two, three would be theirs where there's just this incredible, it's like a dream, we can't be here, we're, we're no longer afraid every day that a policeman might come to our door and their experience and yet they come to verse four and yet they still have family members that are back there and aren't enjoying the freedom that they're enjoying. And so for them, verse four would be, Lord, bring our families back. Bring, bring our captives back, Lord, like streams in the Negev or streams in the desert. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. And so as they are longing for those who have not yet enjoyed the freedom that they are enjoying, that there's this time of sorrow and longing that those that they love would also experience such joy. Um, One of the, for me, remembering something um, like uh, verses one to three. Well, actually, let's go to Isaiah 44 because this kind of provides the background for verses one to three, which is this incredible joy. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins, I will restore them. This is a promise that God made when his people went into captivity, who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will drop your streams. And verse 28 kind of brings it to its culmination. Who says of Cyrus, who was the most powerful man in the world, he was the head of the Medo-Persian Empire who had, that had conquered the Babylonian Empire. Its capital was there. Who says of Cyrus, this powerful man, he is my shepherd and he will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, this insignificant town that had been taken captive, its country had been destroyed by the Babylonians, he will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And so, why we come to Psalm 126 and the people, it's like a dream. They can't believe it. That their company that had been laid waste by the Babylonians, now that this Cyrus, the head of the Medo-Persian Empire, would deign because of God's leading of him to bring back the Jewish people to Jerusalem. And so it's, they're, they're like those who dream. It's unexpected. It's miraculous. And so the, the nations surrounding them are saying, the Lord has done great things for them. There was no question that the Lord had to do it because the Lord had to move Cyrus because what would Cyrus care about Jerusalem in the midst of his vast empire. 
the Lord had done great things for them. And so the Jews responded by saying, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Do you have memories like that? Those are important things for us to recall memories like that of how God has done great things for us. Um, that our joy is, isn't rooted in, uh, in trivial things and so often how we try to keep our happiness going by, by eating our sorrow away or drinking our sorrow away or Netflixing our sorrow away. Or, but instead of this genuine joy that is rooted in gladness and what the great things that God has done for us. The thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was when we were living in the Philippines and um, we had to leave the, 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 the little town that we were in. Daniel was sick. We needed to bring him to the hospital, which was a couple hours away. The rebels had come. They blocked the highway. We finally managed to get to the hospital. And that night, as Cindy was with Daniel in the hospital in the city of Cotabato, and myself with Rebecca and Jonathan, our two older kids, were on the other side of this large city. The rebels attacked the city that night. And all night long, all we could hear, without telephone communication, with, without knowing what was going on, we just heard the city being bombed all night long. And not knowing what had happened to them, that not knowing what happened to us. And then the next morning as, as we traveled to the hospital and that reunion, in case you hadn't known, we both, we all survived. The, uh, that incredible reunion, it's like a dream that the Lord had done great things for us, that joy. Um, maybe for some of you, it's a, a physical something that you thought, uh, this is it. And then, and then God healed. Um, maybe it was a car accident or something happened to your car and it was it's your only means of transportation to get to work or to get to school and you don't know what to do. It seems like hopeless. And then out of the blue, a stranger gifts you a car and there's that like, it's a dream. This is incredible, incredible joy. And yet, in the midst of those incredible joys that we need to be recalling, we need to be remembering, there is still ongoing sorrow, right? The long and dangerous journey. Um, Verses four to six, where those who remained in Babylon still were hoped that they'd return to Jerusalem. Um, As we come to the end of Psalm 126, and that long and dangerous road home. And we, if we can bring back up verse four, please. It's like, you know, I've, I've never been a farmer. Cindy does the garden in our home. Although I've, I feel like I'm almost a professional because I've read Little, Little House on the Prairie. And, and, and I, I know what it's like to be a farmer because I've read those books. And, you know, that... You plant the seed, and it's not always amazing. There could be drought, or there could be locusts, there could be disease. You know, Cindy plants our tomatoes, and then you get these black little spots on them, you know, that want to take them over and keep little tomatoes from growing. And, and what results is, in the anticipation of the, the joy of the harvest, there's this 
sowing with tears and there's this going, there's this laboring and longing of in order to see the harvest happened. Um, so looking at these verses, there's, there's four things that I picked out from scripture that I think are really important for us uh, reasons to have genuine sorrow in order to experience God's genuine joy. So the first one, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 7. I really encourage you to follow along. 2 Corinthians 7, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, and this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he said, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, because, he said, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in, in any way by us. Verse 10, it's so important. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. It leads to life. It leads to, to union with God and life and joy that's in him. But worldly sorrow brings death. We're not advocating just to be sad here. That it's good to be depressed. It's good to go around groveling. That's, that's not what this is about. Genuine sorrow, godly sorrow, number one, is a sorrow that brings repentance. It's sorrow over sin because sin is separating us from God and, and real joy, genuine joy, life in Jesus. Worldly sorrow brings death because worldly sorrow focuses on the consequences. That's uh, where godly sorrow focuses on the heart condition. And the first important reason to have genuine sorrow is because Sin separates us from God, from life, and from joy. Question, is there something in your life that you need to grieve over today because it's separating you from Jesus and therefore separating you from life and real joy? And, and, it's, and because it's separating you, you're trying to find happiness in a trite and trivial way by keeping busy or or whatever you do, instead of repenting of your sin, sorrowing over it and, and seeing God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to bring us back into a relationship with him. Not sorrowing over our sin keeps us separated from God and joy in him. Repentance, genuine sorrow, for sin leading to forgiveness in life. The second thing, Romans twelve fifteen. It's a short little verse, but it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, I think in all the years that I've been a, a pastor and I've uh, ministered to people in all kinds of situations, um, done a lot of memorial services, funeral services, visited a lot of hospital rooms, nursing homes, which I confess are the hardest thing in the world for me to do. God didn't create us for death. <laughs> um, but in, in all my years, 
think the most impact and the most encouragement that I've ever provided is when I when I just simply sorrowed with people, at least to begin with. Just was simply with them, sorrowing with them, rather than trying to provide answers to the questions that most of the times we'll never have answers to, or trying to cheer them up, or trying to help them look on the bright side. It's coming alongside, I mean, absolutely rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, but mourning with those who mourn. I mean, Weeping with those who weep, genuine sorrow for the suffering of others. Do you do that? Question, are you able to simply grieve with those who are grieving? Is there somebody that right now, a friend or a family member, is grieving and you, you need to just come alongside them and just grieve with them? Or, or are you so uncomfortable or feel like you don't have the answers that you can't do that? Um, boy, a really important reason to have genuine sorrow. The third thing, Ecclesiastes 7.2. Um, I think of this verse every time I do a funeral or memorial service. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take it to heart. Um, it's not saying that it's wrong to be in a house of feasting, but in a house of feasting, we lose perspective, don't we? But in a house of mourning at a funeral service or, or a memorial service, boy, it gives us perspective because this is, this is where all of us are headed. And are we living in light of eternity? Uh, we live in a broken world. Um, Romans 8, verses 22 and 23. This says, The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And that's because of sin that entered the world into God's glorious creation. And so creation is like groaning. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, and I'm going to change it a little bit, should groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is just broken. And as individuals living in a broken world, not just ignoring the brokenness, but but living in the thick of it, bringing people into the kingdom of God and the hope and the joy that's in Jesus, means that we need to be in the thick of the brokenness. Honestly, I, I, when we were overseas, living in the Philippines, and I, I was very aware of the brokenness. When we came back to the United States and pastoring a church, um, it was easy for me to live kind of in an insulated world. And maybe some of you are there right now. You're living in a world to where, you know, you're with your friends and your family and at work and everything. It's easy to ignore the brokenness. It was for me until I began became a volunteer police chaplain and riding with the police began to see what I called the underside of our community, riding to suicides and homicides and domestic violences and drug busts and began to see the brokenness which ended up leading to us saying we need to do something about it and the beginning of the coffee oasis and right in the thick of the broken world 
that we live in. Question, are you broken over our broken world? The brokenness around you? Or are you constantly just pursuing trying to have fun, ignoring the brokenness? You know, we were created to enjoy God. That's why God made us. Um, Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's why God, God didn't make us for death. Sin entered the world and through sin, death. But at times, even though God made us for joy, that joy must give way to sorrow because we're not there yet, right? We're not home yet. And we live in the thick of this world that is so broken and has so much hurt. And there are so many around us who are not experiencing God's joy. Genuine sorrow for the brokenness of our world. The last thing, Psalm 126, just to look at verses 5 and 6 again. Notice it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I was talking just before I was preaching. I could blame it on somebody else for why I got up here late, but I won't call her out. <laughs> um, just kind of remembering the kind of the painful process it's been to open a coffee oasis in Pierce County. In, in, incredible support. We're having our grand opening this Thursday in Pierce County to open the first 13, 17-year-old shelter for homeless youth in Pierce County. But it has been so God's doing. It's been like a dream as the meetings I have, some of the most hostile meetings I've ever experienced, people just not wanting us in Pierce County because we love Jesus. Despite the fact that there's this massive need and yet, it's, it's almost been like giving birth to a child or anticipating the harvest. Um, Matthew 9, I think, captures it really well. Where Jesus is going through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Notice this, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And that this has got to be my favorite word in the Greek New Testament. Uh, probably just because of how it sounds. It, the, the word is splunk nidzamai. Isn't that cool? I mean, you should all learn that. Splunk nidzamai. You can just, especially if you're courting, you can really impress, you know. But, but it's the meaning of the word that is really powerful. Splunkna literally means guts, your innards. And so when Jesus had compassion, literally it's saying when he saw the crowds who were harassed and helpless, it's like his insides were turned inside out. He was so ripped apart by the people who he saw who were harassed and helpless. Is that how we see people? Is that how we see people? People facing eternity without Jesus. See, Jesus saw the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but there aren't very many people out there whose insides are ripped in two 
by the crowds out there that don't know Jesus and that are entering eternity separated from Jesus rather than spending eternity with Jesus. Question, do you sorrow over those who do not yet know Jesus? Are we so busy with our lives that we've lost sight of eternity? And people that are entering eternity without Jesus are our insides turned inside out by people, loved ones and family that we know that don't yet know Jesus? Do we really understand and live in the reality that the people we encounter every day are eternal beings headed to eternity, either to spend that eternity with Jesus or separated from Jesus? So just to conclude... You know, we're told to rejoice and God has made us to enjoy him. Those are, those are Bible verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a Bible verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. That's the Bible verse. God has made us to enjoy him. That's why we exist. But it's not a trite and superficial joy that covers over pain and sorrow and brokenness. And I think so often that's where some of us are at. Therefore, we also sorrow, we grieve, we must, because genuine joy alone happens as we embrace genuine sorrow, whether it's repentance or weeping with those who weep or or sorrow over the broken world that we're surrounded by or people entering eternity without Jesus. Genuine joy will embrace genuine sorrow. Just a couple of questions I want you to think about. How do you need to sorrow? For whom do you need to sorrow? Maybe it's for yourself, for your separation from Jesus, from, from sin that's keeping you from true joy and making you pursue all these trite and superficial happinesses that aren't going to really bring you true joy. Maybe you need to sorrow for your own sin or, or, or come alongside somebody who's sorrowing and genuinely sorrow with them or a friend that's on their way to eternity without Jesus. How do you and I need to sorrow so that we and they can experience genuine joy? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've made us for joy. You've made us for yourself. And yet, Father, so often things come between us and you, just making our lives so often so shallow, settling for passing happiness instead of genuine happiness. God, teach us.